Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. My name is Ty Evans. Glad to have you here with us today. I hope you are doing amazing wherever you are in the world. Hopefully, uh, you get a chance to get out there today and play with those mules and uh, learn something. So, this episode, I kind of want to tell you what we've been up to the last few weeks. Um, summer's just rolling on by here and going quick for us. And, uh, you know, we're gearing up for our fall tour. Um, I head out next week to go to Wisconsin up to St. Croix Falls and always look forward to that clinic. It's a full clinic this year and just a really great place. Uh, they've just been so good to us over the years. And from then we go to, uh, Cannon city, Colorado, Driggs, Idaho, uh, enterprise, Oregon, get up there for the Hills Canyon mule days. And then we head uh, back to the east. We go to Iowa, Ohio, New York. Got a couple in Virginia, Texas. And uh, we finish up um, by doing one of our extreme trail riding clinics here in Utah, which is kind of my highlight of the year. That clinic is just a blast. Um, And then we just barely got booked to do the equine affair in Massachusetts in November. So... Uh, looking forward to that. I've never done the one in Massachusetts. I've been to the equine affair in Ohio before, but never Massachusetts. So that'll be good. Um, so that's kind of what we got coming up this fall. And, um, you know, uh, just sent, um, our last intern for the summer home last week, uh, had an awesome young man named Hunter Hollenbeck from South Dakota, uh, came and spent, about six weeks with us and you know it was great we uh i think he learned a lot um and uh you know i i enjoyed having an intern around it was it was good you know basically the trade is uh a little bit of labor for some education and that's kind of what how it went but he got to do a lot of fun stuff and got to go go to montana with me uh up to the bob marshall and ride that and and got to do a lot of stuff here and and uh, that was a lot of fun. You know, internships are are interesting. You know, we've had two of them this summer. Um, I think you guys have uh, probably listened to, if you're listening to this episode, then I'm sure you've listened to the past episodes, um, or at least I hope you have. But Bentley White from Texas was here also this summer. And, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for these folks to learn. And, you know, if they want to, if they want to be part of this business, they want to be in the equine business, uh, you know, what, what a better place to, to kind of see the whole spectrum of things, you know, because I, I kind of dabble in, in all the aspects of it. You know, we, we do clinics, of course, that's our, our main, uh, our, our main gig for sure is the clinics. Yeah. You know, so I'm primarily a teacher, but, you know, we also sell meals and, you know, I, uh, the bulk of my career has been uh, dedicated to training for the public, of course. And, you know, uh, but then they also get to see the behind the scenes stuff too. Uh, they, they see what it takes to kind of be able to stay in this equine business. You know, we got to do this podcast. We got to write articles and, and do newsletters and update websites, um, you know, sell some tax, sell hats and shirts and, uh, you know, do virtual clinics, do lessons. I mean, if you're going to be in this business, uh, the equine industry, you kind of have to have 
uh, a hand in all different pieces of it for sure. And, and so those interns kind of got to see some, some of that and see what it takes to, to make it a go. But, you know, I've really enjoyed my career. Um, this past May marked 10 years doing clinics. Um, and people ask, well, how long have you been in the meal business? Well, I, I don't know how to answer that because I mean, if you want to get technical about it, I mean, I, I, I started my first horse, uh, for somebody, you know, as an eight year old, um, you know, and my dad uh, was a cult starter, got me in this business and, you know, that's what he did, uh, you know, just been around it my whole life. Um, so I don't really know how to answer how long I've been in the business, but all I know is it takes a lot of work and uh, a lot of dedication and, you know, you always got to be a student. And I hope I, I hope I shared that with those two interns enough, uh, you know, while they were here that, you know, truly just keep learning. The more you can learn, you know, the, the better off you're going to be. And one thing my great grandpa would say, you know, when you think you've learned it all, it's time to die. <laughs> that was kind of his, his message. Yeah. You know, so basically keep learning or you ought not be here, you know? Um, and I kind of live by that. You know, I try to learn something every day. Uh, just, and it's not necessarily things that you could always answer. What'd you learn today? I don't know. Um, some days I can't answer that necessarily, but it's experience. It's, you know, every day you interact with your mules, hopefully you're learning something. Even if you don't have time to come to a clinic, you don't have time to watch videos. You don't have time to, to read or, or research or, or, or work your animals or, you know, whatever, even your just interactions with them when you feed your mules or you're out there cleaning the corrals or whatever, leading them from this pasture to that pasture, you should be learning more. That's an opportunity for you to, to, to read their expressions, watch their ears, their eyes, watch their muscling, watch their breathing, you know, watch how they move, watch how they interact with each other. Uh, watch how they interact with you. What what type of things do they, uh, you know, how, how are they looking at you? Um, how do they react to your movements? So there's always learning to be had. And, you know, when those interns were here, I, I, hope, I, I hope I drilled that into them enough that be a student and you'll be successful always. And uh, Hunter asked me, why do you... And you, you read all the time. So he'd, he'd come up to the house uh, early in the morning and, uh, you know, th these beautiful summer mornings, uh, I like to sit out on my porch, got a little table out there, and I like to read and study. And that's kind of my quiet time to be able to do that. Wow, why do you read so much, he says. Uh, I said, man, I, I just love to learn. I'm always trying to learn. And I heard a quote a long time ago. Uh, well, it's a story, really. Um Basically, the story was about this old man uh, that was a professor at a, at a school, and uh, the students would walk past his his apartment in the evenings, and they'd see him sitting by the by the light, always reading, always studying every day. And one of the students finally asked, "Why, man? You you just know everything. Why do you need to keep reading? You you're you already seem to be an expert at everything you're teaching us. Why do you read? Why do you study? Why do you try to get better? And he said, I want my students drinking from running wa water. 
rather than a stagnant pond, uh, meaning that he wants to stay fresh so he can offer new information, more information, uh, a better understanding. And that's kind of where, where I'm coming from, too. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to learn more so that I can come to you guys and offer you uh, offer you a better teacher. I want to be a better teacher. And in order to do that, I need to know more for sure all the time. And so hopefully I hopefully I taught those interns that just to keep learning as best as they can. So anyways, that was a, a big piece of the summer was having those interns here learning. And uh, I enjoyed having them for sure. Uh, we did a couple of trips, you know, I hope you listened to the last episode, uh, episode 162. Uh, this is episode 163. The last episode I, I shared a, a recording from our trip up to the Bob Marshall Wilderness up in Montana. And uh, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun for sure. And, you know, I just kind of random recording. We were all just sitting around there uh, around the fire in the evening. And I just had my my phone and uh, a little microphone there and press record and we had a chat. So that was kind of fun. You know, uh, I've always wanted to go up there to the Bob Marshall, uh, ride our mules up there. And, and I wanted to pack and this, the trip we went on, if you listen to the episode, we didn't get a pack. Um, we just stayed at the truck and rode out every day to different spots, uh, along some rivers and some creeks there to fish. And, had a lot of fun. I would love to pack in there though. There's definitely some destinations that I want to see. Uh, that was a lot of fun though. And, you know, great time to, uh, get to hang out with, uh, one of my clinic hosts, Robert Eversall up there. Shout out to, uh, the Trailmeister. That's his business. That's who he is known as the Trailmeister. And, um, he invited me up there and oh, we had a good time, uh, you know, and, it's just good to know people. Uh, something else I was I was telling one of the interns there that in, in this business, it's not always so much about what you know, it's also who you know. And to, you know, a big part of this life, you know, I think we're here to meet people and to build relationships with people. And it was just great to be able to go up there and spend time with Robert and John and, and, and Joe and, and Hunter and everybody. It was a good time. This past week, we we spent some some time down on the Boulder Mountains in Utah, and uh, equally beautiful and stunning as the Bob Marshall for sure. Boulder Mountains are in southern Utah, just incredible. Um, some really pretty lakes, uh, tons of fish in the lakes, but um, we could see them. But they didn't they didn't want to bite on anything I had to offer. Um, you know, I. I really enjoy fly fishing. Uh, a lot of people ask me, what's your passion besides mules? Uh, fly fishing. But I, I get to the spots with my mules. So my mules are basically involved in every aspect of my life. Um, but I do enjoy fly fishing. But anyways, the, the the fish down there, they didn't really care about my fly fishing skills whatsoever. But it was really beautiful. Good time. Uh, this is an annual trip that we go on with some friends of ours. Uh a wonderful man. I, I want to get him on the podcast. Um, and hopefully we can someday, but he, he puts together a, a ride with a few select friends and, and people that he wants to surround himself with. And, and we go, we go 
all over the the Intermountain West, really, to all his bucket list locations that he wants to ride and and uh, see some country, you know, whatever. And just a great group of friends to be with. You know, you you become who you hang out with. You know, and um, you know these folks down there were just just incredible. Um, one of the best parts about this ride, though, was that uh, Ellie got to come with me for the week and man just it's great to have family with you you know that means so much to me and and sky and uh swayze my youngest daughter um also came down one day and and rode with us and that was just just wonderful it's definitely stressful getting the whole family out there on the mountain like that for for a bigger ride and and uh, among a lot of people but it's so worth it to have them with me for sure. You know, a, a big part of what we do is, is, is do things as a family, you know, do this stuff, do these, do this mule ride and stuff, uh, together. Uh, so important to me. And, you know, it's, it's been a fun journey. Um, <laughs> it was a little stressful. Uh, Ellie came off, um, one day, um, you know, just the mule that she was on is a young colt. And, uh, you know, I was a little worried about her riding a colt anyways, but she was willing and she likes this colt. And anyways, the, the mule jumped over uh, a bunch of deadfall that should have, it should have walked over. But, you know, sometimes their perception is different and they don't quite understand, especially the younger ones. And, and uh, the mule took a big jump over and then a quick left and Ellie, <laughs> Ellie made a quick right uh, departure. So, uh, it was amazing. She, she landed in a, in a downed tree, a, a downed log with a whole bunch of branches sticking out. It was just absolutely a miracle that she wasn't impelled. She did kind of stick her foot because her, her boot kind of hung in the stirrup and popped off her, her foot, which is why we ride, uh, you know, pull on boots. Um, but anyways, her foot came out of, out of the boot there, and <clears throat> she landed in those those sticks. I don't know how she didn't get stuck more than just her foot. And anyways, uh, got her settled down, and and uh, the rest of the, the day was pretty darn good. But um, yeah, other than that little little event, uh, what a great trip to the Boulder Mountains for sure. So. That's kind of what uh, what we what we've been up to as far as the family, you know, family stuff and some internship stuff going on, and you know, the only other thing that <clears throat> I kind of wanted to mention was, um, you know, our semi-private clinics. We did three of them here this summer at our house. Um, you know, I really I really enjoy these types of clinics, uh, particularly when self-starters and self-motivated people come and they come with things to work on with questions and they're driven to get better. Um, for those of you that don't know what our semi-private clinics are, basically we limit them to four people and you know, they're, they're different levels. So, you know, you'd, you'd sign up for whatever level would fit the mule, you know, or your horse or your donkey, whatever we had all the above this summer, um, whatever would fit your animal. Okay. And the levels are based on the bridling progressions. 
you know, from, from snaffle bit to hackamore to the two rein to the bridle, that's the levels that we kind of base them on. And we have a description of that on our website, but you, you come to these deals and we're, 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 we've kind of dedicated them to, to people that are pretty serious. Although we get different interests for sure. Not everybody comes as, as serious as I want them to be, but they're, they're serious about their, their mulemanship and they want to get better. And, uh, you know, the good thing about it is there's no spectators. You don't have to worry about anybody watching you. And you're with three other people that are really interested and intent on learning. We start every day with a morning meeting, which is continually, um, the, the highlight for, for pretty much all the students. Um, I've only ever had a few people that didn't enjoy the morning meetings. Most of them love meeting in the morning. We we outline our goals for the day. It's a chance for these people to ask their questions, you know, w- without the animal under them or on the end of the lead rope. Just They're just sitting in a chair around the fire usually. Um, or some of these mornings get kind of hot. We sat in the shade, but... Um, you know, is their chance to ask questions and we can dive a little deeper. So the conversations kind of flow and, and they get a little deeper than when we're just out in the arena and somebody's asking a basic question, you know, how, how do you do this move or that move or whatever? These are a little bit more uh, deeper in intent on really improving their, their mulemanship um, and really improving their relationships with their animals, which is just a, a, a huge part of this is that relationship you got to be working on that relationship all the time with your animal and and i don't mean for it to sound like all lovey-dovey and and fluffy um, because it's sometimes it's not i'm talking about a relationship to where you and your animal have a have a true understanding your animal knows that you pay attention to them you know that knows that you can you can read them accurately and see it from their point of view and um for you, you're getting a response back from the animal that, that you want. And, you know, one of the kind of the, the one of the main, I guess, topics that were discussed this summer in these semi-private clinics was was a balance between relationship and control. You know, the animal well, and you, but the animal especially needs the relationship part. They need to know that you are paying attention, that you understand, that you can, you know, that this communication actually works out here. You know, are you are you picking up what the animal's putting down? You got to be able to read them. You, you just, you're never going to be successful with these animals uh, in the sense that I'm talking about without building a relationship. That's not a cookies out of your pouch relationship. It's not a false you know, relationship. It's not how, you know, how fancy your barn is or how nice your trailer is or, you know, what you can buy them or, you know, whatever. This relationship is you can understand what they need, what their, what their understanding is. And, you know, from them, we, we need to have some control. I mean, that's one of the bottom lines of it. You got to have control. Uh, they're a huge animal very powerful. Um, we want to ride them. We, we want to be able to ride these animals up to that beautiful mountain lake and, and see this amazing country that God has made and blessed us with. 
and and be able to experience you know uh dragging a calf to the fire experience uh riding through that green pasture you know we we want to experience all these things um and have control of them but we got to have that control you know we got to be able to move the feet we got to be able to go and stop and turn and back and all these things so one of the one of the big things that we talked about in those morning meetings was was just that a balance between building a relationship with these animals that we all desire um and then also having control of the animal you know and that's where the maneuvers come in you know this is how you do you know a b and c and you got to have that balance i think for sure and and that came up a lot in those morning meetings but it was a great place for people just to talk and and ask our questions and you know people don't always get that opportunity and in our larger clinics you know they're they're a little bit more um on topic in the the larger clinics and you know you're taking a class from me there but these semi-private clinics they're just much more laid back and and uh, we can dive deeper because of that and you know after our morning meeting we'd usually take a couple hours and work in the arena and uh you know it's typically some some pretty some pretty you know deep work we're, we're kind of serious about things here and it, it, in regards to getting that control that i was just talking about and so i was i was adamant that the people came were, that were self-motivated and they wanted to work they wanted to get better they're willing to practice and it was a great opportunity for them just to work in the arena no pressure each person working on their own their own piece of the checklist everybody would start the morning in the beginning you know, that's one of the things we teach is you start at the beginning every day. I start over with every one of my mules that I ride um, <clears throat> every day. I start over. So that means I go through the groundwork. I go through the riding work in order every day. And the things that the mule's good at, we just check it off real quick. We can move on. And the things that need to be addressed, whenever we get to that spot on the checklist, we address it. So each of these participants in this semi-private clinic, we go out to the arena and we start, all of us would start on the ground from the beginning and just work our way up. And I would just check on each one of them. I'd just kind of make my rounds. Or they could come up and approach me and ask me questions anytime. But I'd kind of make my rounds there and I'd see wherever, where were they in the checklist. One common thing is most people are going too fast through that checklist. They're just burning right through it. And you, you got to take your time. Make sure that your animal understands. That's the relationship part that I was talking about earlier. That's the communication. <clears throat> Does your mule really understand? You got to be able to read the animal. If you can't read them, you're not going to know if they understand. And then you're going to move on before they have an understanding of it. And then you wonder why things break down further up the line. Read the animal. Build that relationship. So, so important. So... Anyways, we, we do that and, and uh, you know, you don't need to spend all day in the arena working on stuff. In fact, I was trying to, you know, uh, really relay to these people how important it is to be able to do all these things out on the trail. Most of the people that came uh, were particularly interested in, in trail work, of course. Um, that's kind of our, our main gig is helping people prepare their meals for the outdoors, for the trails and stuff. And, and so I was trying to help them understand how important it is to be able to do these things outside 
you know, you, you can drill all day in the arena, but that's not going to get you anywhere um, if you don't actually put it to use out on the trail. So, we, you know, we, we went out on the trail and it was, it was just a great opportunity for them to learn, okay, this is how you apply it. And these are the things you can do on actually pretty tight, narrow, steep trails. Everybody has this misconception about what you can and can't do on the, on the trails sometimes. And, and most people are, are, are a little bit, um, lax in what they're willing to do out on the trail. So a big part of it was showing, okay, well, your mules, your mules, uh, wanting to, um, crowd the mule in front of you. Okay. Like I was trying to get these folks to spread out in their, on their trail. So you're not just nose to tail. Okay. How about we, we each, we spread out a mule length or maybe 10 foot. Okay. Well, my mule wants to charge up there. What do we do? You know, and, and, and what do I do? It, it, it seems like the trail's too steep to do anything right here. And, and I'll show them, I'll demonstrate what you can do right there in those tight spots. Um, and it's surprising to a lot of people. Wow. You can, yeah, you can do that. You can fix that up right there in that pretty tough spot. <clears throat> you get to some water, you know, and your mule kind of hops over a little stream, you know, a little, just a little, uh, little creek there. The mule jumps over it, you know, uh, well, what do you do about it? And, and we were able to address that. Your mule spooks at a bunch of, we had grouse fly up, turkeys fly up, you know, spooked deer, spooked elk, um, smelt bears, you know, all kinds of stuff over, you know, the course of these clinics here. And how do you line it out? Okay. We're about to pass some backpackers. What do we do? And so it was really great to apply all this work out there on the trail and then also show the people that, Hey, when the opportunities arise to practice these maneuvers and these things, you practice it here so that when you need it there, you have it down. And that's a, another thing that so many people just, when they get out on the trail, they're just pounding ground and they're just putting the miles in and they don't work on these things until problems come up. Uh, you, you, you gotta work on stuff. And then by doing so, you'll notice that the problems don't show up or at least not near as often, you know, um, I heard a quote and I, I can't, I don't know where it's from. I, my guess is it's from the book art of war, but basically it says, if, if you desire peace, prepare for war. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can liken that to, to your, your mulemanship and your horsemanship. If you want to have a good, safe mule, a good, safe horse going down the trail, if you want these things to go well for you, you, you prepare for the worst. Now that's not to be a, a doomsday or you're not planning on a big wreck. You're not planning on big problems, but you're, you're prepared. You have the skills, you have the tools, you have the abilities, you got the knowledge. And so if something does come up, you can, you can address it and help the animal out. And so that was one of the best parts of these semi-private clinics is, you know, I got to take out just four people and we got to work on this. And, you know, a lot of them were, were, were really great about asking questions. And one of the best parts, uh, of, of the ride for a lot of these people, what they told me afterwards was they enjoyed just being able to get out there on the mountain with me out on the trail and talk mules and talk mulemanship and talk philosophy and talk ideas. And, uh, you know, they say, you know, we don't get that opportunity a lot in, in our regular clinics just to come talk to you about, a lot of these things, a lot of them, you know, asked me about 
kind of my life story and, and who I learned from and where, where'd you learn that? Where'd you pick that up? Who, who taught you this? Who taught you that? And I got to explain it to them and, and tell them kind of where I come from and, and talk about stories, you know, about mules and horses that have taught me lessons in the past. And a lot of people really enjoyed that just to be able to, to talk. And, you know, I did too. Uh, all these people come from different walks of life. We had all kinds of people show up, um, you know, from all over the country, uh, and different jobs, different careers and different, you know, uh, ex, you know, experiences in their lives, of course. And, and I enjoy, uh, talking to them and, and learning from them. You know, like I said earlier, you know, the, the people that show up in your life are, are so important. And, you know, one person leads to another. If you listen to a couple episodes ago, uh, my conversation with Brad Cameron, uh, an incredible mule man and, and clinician from Corvallis, Montana. We talked a lot about that, about, you know, the people in your life lead you, lead you down a, a road, you know, that is unique and, and one person leads to another. So anyway, so, uh, that was the semi-private clinics and, and just a great time. And if you guys want to join me in one of those, let me know, uh, we're booking, those for next year we're, we're working on booking all of our 2023 clinics right now and uh got a lot of a lot of clinics in the books already um a lot to to come and hopefully we'll have our 2023 clinic tour published by october 1st that's kind of what i'm working towards so uh, but anyways we kind of do these semi-private clinics based on requests uh people kind of saying hey if you do one, let me know. I want to be in. So if you want to, if you want to be on the list from those semi-private clinics, just shoot me an email, tieatsmeals.com and, and, uh, we'll put you on the list tentatively for next year and let you know when they are, are published on the website. So, all right. Um, I was reading, uh, I was reading the Western Horseman magazine, uh, this morning and, I come across this uh, by one of the, it was written by one of the managing editors of Western Horseman um, named named Kaylee Solens. Okay. Uh, Basically um, she's, she's quoting her father that said this. uh, And I just, I read this, it's just a little paragraph and I thought, Oh my gosh, that's, that is so good. Um, because I, I guarantee all of you have heard the opposite of this, um, but this is great. Uh, quote, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing bad, end of quote. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing bad. Wow. See, I always, uh, I've heard a million times, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right, okay? But basically, she goes on to tell about how her dad... Uh, you know, what's you know, no one is no one is born great. You got to be willing to do it poorly at first to become great. And so many people don't do things. They won't do it if they can't look good doing it. They won't do it if they can't look good doing it, or if it's going to be hard, or they're scared to look so bad doing it. And I'm I'm right there with you. There's a lot of things I don't want to do. Uh, was joking the other day, one of my, my buddies that, uh, runs a bunch of cows and, and I help him. I do a lot of day work for him. 
in Fountain Green, Utah, they have a softball tournament every year uh, for their annual Lamb Days celebration. Um, and he wanted me, why don't you do it? You should, you should sign up. You should sign up for the softball tournament, Dale, you know? And, and uh, I'm like, no way. He's like, oh, come on, you, you ought to do it. And I said, have you ever seen The Sandlot, the movie Sandlot? And he said, yeah. I said, you know the, you know the scene where, where Smalls gets the ball and he wants to throw it back to the infield? And he, he cocks his arm back to throw it, and then he's like, no, I better not. And he walks the ball up to, to, the, to the other player, hands it to him. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I know this. I know the scene. I'm like, well, I'm Smalls. That, that's, that's me right there. That's exactly how I would play softball because, you know, I just can't, I can't throw very well. And, and he thought that was kind of funny. And, you know, so I, I'm the same way, you know, I, I don't want to do something if, if I'm not going to look, you know, if I'm going to look like a dork doing it, I, I try to avoid it. You know what I mean? I kind of stay in my lane, but the point is, is a lot of people feel that way with a lot of this, this mulemanship stuff. They say, yes, I just, you know, it's hard. Yeah, it is. A lot of it is hard in the beginning. Um, and you know, you, yeah, you might not look good doing it in the beginning, but nobody does. Nobody looks good doing it in the beginning. And one of the excuses I hear a lot is, well, you started when you was a kid and kids don't care how, how they look, you know, kids don't care what, you know, their perception is until they hit a certain age, of course, then they start to care. And the bottom line is, well, do you want it? Do you want this to work for you? Do you want this mulemanship stuff to work out for you? Do you want to be good at this? Do you want to have the relationship with your mule I'm talking about? Do you want to have the control of the mule that I'm talking about? Do you want to have this whole, you know, lifestyle going for you? And if the answer is yes, then it's worth putting the time in. It's worth looking bad for a little while. It's worth not being perfect. Work at it. Do your best, keep going, and just do what you can. And little by little, you'll get better, and someday you'll be the example to somebody else. And you'll be the person that somebody looks up to, the next generation looks up to, uh, to learn. And you'll be saying the same thing, you know, why they kind of look funny, trying to figure out how to do a turn, and try to try to stop, and how to change a lead, and, and how, to, how to tie up you know, hitch up those, those pack boxes and lead that pack string in the mountains. And they'll look funny out there trying to learn how to rope and heal that calf. And that's all right. That's part of it. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing bad. So anyways, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that we've all been there in whatever career we have, we started somewhere and yeah, we didn't look good doing it. So anyways, Kaylee Sullins, Hey, thanks for writing that in, in Western horse magazine. Uh, Western Horseman magazine is a great magazine. Shout out to them. Um, they did a featured article on me a couple months back on how to prepare pack meals. So it was kind of fun working with them over at Western Horseman magazine. Hey, uh, we got a bunch of questions to answer. A lot of folks wrote in and, you know, if you ever have a question that you'd like to have featured on the podcast, you can send me an email and I will try to get it on the show. 
Um, my email is ty at tsmules.com. So let's get to some of these questions, huh? Hey, we want to thank our sponsors, Western Mule Magazine. Ben and Anita Tennyson do an amazing job with their magazine. I've been writing for them for a few years now, and uh, they're great. Look up westernmulemagazine.com and check them out. Okay, the first question is from Clay Newcomb in Arkansas. Now, uh, I got to give sh- give a shout out to Clay Newcomb. Uh, if any of you guys are looking for a dang good podcast, other than this one, of course, uh, my favorite podcast is Bear Grease. And I'm not just saying that uh, just because I know Clay's going to be listening to this. Uh, Bear Grease is like my weekly entertainment. Uh, Clay does uh, all kinds of he talked about all kinds of subjects on the Bear Grease podcast. Um, everything from rattlesnakes to Daniel Boone to mules uh, to to poachers to, I mean, all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, taxidermy and gas stations and just all kinds of stuff. And and uh, he sent me this this question. And then on this past week's episode, he actually uh, kind of called me out there on his, on his podcast and said, Hey, I've sent this question to Ty Evans. I'm waiting to hear from him. So I thought, Oh dang, I better, I better get this, get my podcast recorded for the week and, and answer these questions. Um, and it was actually good listening to his show, uh, listening to that episode because he kind of went a little deeper on what he is going through with this mule. Um, it's a, it's a mule that he's raised, uh, and he's been, he's started this mule, been working this mule, going through some stuff. And, uh, sounds like the mule's pretty spooky. Uh, sounds like he, he kind of went through some brush and, you know, the branches, uh, rubbing over his, over his, uh, his body and his, his mule spooked mule and it's dumped him off a couple of times. And so he's looking for some help and, I want to help out this guy. He's a good, good man. And I love his show and, uh, I appreciate you sending this question in clay, but here's the deal. This is what he, he wrote to me. Okay. I started a young mule from scratch. He's three years old and I've pretty much had him his whole life, uh, since he was weaned, uh, did some groundwork, some packing with him and started to ride him in, uh, in January of 2022. So he's been riding him about, uh, seven, eight months ish. Uh, he did really good the first several rides. I got overconfident and took him out of the corral for his first ride. Some limbs scratched against me, and the mule spooked and bucked me off. I climbed back on, rode some more. Uh, I began riding him in the in the pen, and he did okay, but was hesitant and spooky. Probably rode him four more times before he bucked me off again in the round pen without much warning or provocation. Uh, now he's super spooky when I mount him and I know it's just a matter of time before he bucks again. What do I do? Uh, and in his, in his episode, he, he kind of talked about some of the stuff he's been doing and here's the deal, Clay. Uh, this mule, uh, needs to get what I call some coping skills. Okay. What I mean by that is when, when these mules, or horses, it's the same deal. Um, when they're when they're mentally engaged by something, and this could be something um, that causes them uh, some fear, 
some anxiety, some stress. Uh, could also I'm talking about the same stuff that would engage them mentally, uh, as far as learning goes. Some some curiosity, uh, caution, uh, all this type of stuff. You know, they 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 get some some chemicals in there that can trigger their flight and fight or freeze. Uh, they can freeze too and just freeze up. It's, it's, it's the same stuff going on as the flight and fight. Um, but basically what we need them to be able to do is be engaged or stimulated. Okay. They, they need this stimulation and they need to be able to come back down from that. And we, what we want to do is uh, train this brain of theirs, teach this brain. Basically, we're trying to build new highways in this brain that lead to outcomes that are that are good for our health and good for our uh, our lifespan, so to speak. Okay, uh, because if if they're triggered by something and their their initial response is to just blow up and buck or run away, uh, that's not going to work out for us, right? This is not going to be good. Uh, for our relationship here or for our life. All right. Okay. So how do we do this? How do we build these uh, mental highways, so to speak, um, that say, Hey, you're stimulated, you're scared. Okay. This is how we're going to work through this. Um, how do we do it? Well, we, we got to practice in ways that are manageable to us at first. Okay. Uh, but from the basics, all right, we have something we call our groundwork checklist. This is Basically, uh, teaching the mule how to move the front feet, the hind feet, one direction or the other, left and right, be able to send the mule in a circle, stop them, back them, etc. Okay, basic skills to handle. All right. And we're trying to get this done on a loose rein, so not have to pull them around. And we also don't want to have to drive them. I don't want to have to, you know, smack them on the butt with the lead rope all the time, get them to move. Uh, through a bunch of force. Okay. I'm trying to build this, what we call feel in the lead rope um, and in our relationship here. So basically they understand what we're asking them. Now this takes a, a little while, but in the beginning, when you first ask them to, to do some of this groundwork, it might be very stimulating, meaning it might make them really nervous. Uh, you, you might ask them to, you might ask them to go to your right okay, around you in a circle to your right. <clears throat> and that much pressure, or just by you maybe asking them to do that, it might put enough fear in them, stress in them, might raise their anxiety to a level that uh, really initiates these, these, uh, these chemicals in their brain, uh, like cortisol, that says, no way. Um, and it might scare them, right? So what we do is we ask them little questions at, the t at a time. So maybe we ask them to go to, go to our right like that on the ground, okay? We, we lift our, our rein. We, we kind of point the rein to, to the right. Um, maybe they don't know how, don't know what you're asking them. So you put a little, uh, put a little pressure with the tail end of your lead rope. You start swinging that tail end a little bit. Um, maybe they still don't know. Maybe you have to make contact with that tail end and you kind of uh, – smack them on the shoulder there on the neck. Um, just a little bit of stimulus there to cause them to move. So, so now we, we've put the drive to them and that scares them enough that it does cause them to move and they go off to our right. 
Um, and as soon as they move, we're going to let off all the pressure. Okay. We're going to back off all the way. So basically we we're just teaching them, Hey, you know, I'm going to basically go through this, this step here. I'm going to give you a good deal and then I'm going to firm up as needed. I really don't want to firm up though. So take me upon the good deal. And we go through this process, but here's the key. And this is what your mule needs to learn is how to come down from this. So you, you finally get the mule to go off to the right, like we're talking about. And then you need to let the mule soak. We call it soaking. Okay. Basically, you're letting the mule mentally reset and come off of that stimulant, come off of that pressure. Uh, and when, when you back off that pressure, they'll get a little hit of dopamine, some feel-good stuff, and it's like their own, uh, you know, they got their own, very own cocktail system, as Martin Black would say, uh, right there in their brain. And they get rewarded for it. They feel good for it. So you, you, you've got them stressed a little bit. And then you back off and we do this in manageable increments so that we're not just putting a whole bunch of pressure on this, this animal. We're not just jumping on this mule, digging in the spurs, letting it buck out and going for a bronc ride. Um, we're doing this in, in manageable pieces so that the mule can learn how to cope and build these coping skills, learn how to reset that nervous system, you know, and you build from there. So a lot of times people that have, have a, some trouble, like maybe you're having here with a mule wanting to buck is the mule doesn't know how to self-regulate. It doesn't know how to cope. And a lot of times we do what I call stealing a ride. And that is when people will, you know, they don't, they don't want the mule to buck. They don't want it to blow up. They don't want to have any action. So they kind of tiptoe around the situation and and they like i say still a ride they'll get on the mule or something and they just they just are absolutely quiet as can be they don't dare you know do anything they don't dare shift in the saddle they know that if if just like you said a branch brushes their shoulder they're probably gonna get bucked off so they'll do everything they can to kind of sneak that ride in and that's really the opposite of what needs to be done and so people will also will, will stay very lax in the groundwork, meaning they'll do just bare minimum. They don't want to push the, the situation to, to where the mule might accelerate into this, uh, you know, into these behaviors that are undesirable. Um, but what we need to do is just the opposite of that. We need to push it. We need to engage this animal, bring it up, bring all the, the life up and then bring it back down. But you have to start, like I said, in a manageable situation. In a mad, you know, you got to put a manageable amount of, of, of pressure into this situation so that you can back out of it and be successful. You don't want to put the gas pedal to the floor and just drive as fast as you can out of town here on this deal. You, you need to do it in, in what's manageable there. And, and you build your way from the ground to the saddle. Okay. Um, you, you know, another example of, of doing this, uh, getting the, the mule to be able to cope through this is, is obstacles. Obstacles are a great way to engage this, to, to bring up a little bit of emotion here, uh, bring up this, this situation, put a little gas on the fire, but just enough. So maybe you want the mule to cross a tarp. Okay. They're scared of this tarp. 
but you work through it. And maybe the first thing you do is just, you know, like crossing a tarp, for example, what I'll do uh, real quick is basically I'll, I'll put the tarp off of, off of the fence, maybe say five feet. Okay. So that there's a gap of, of, of ground between the tarp and the fence. And I've already done my groundwork. My mule can send, and I can even do fence work on the mule. Um, and if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, you can find all these videos on my website, tsmules.com. But basically, I'll send the mule between that tarp and the fence, and I'll go back and forth. Send them to the left between it, send them to the right between it. And I'll do this, just sending them between until they're totally comfortable, okay, until they come down from that. And then I'll move the tarp a little closer. So now the gap is, is a little shorter here. And um, I'll send them through again. And, and I do this little by little until basically the tarp is right against the fence. And now they're going over the tarp. But as I've, as I've done each increment, the mule has had a, they've been engaged by the new stimulus. Okay. It's a little bit more scary. And then they've had the opportunity to work through it and come down from it. So I don't just say, cross this tarp, you son of a gun. And, and bring in the fire and, and make it a big old fight, uh, that's not going to help me. Even if I get the mule on the tarp that way, even if I can, you know, even if I can make them get on the tarp, that's not doing me any good for the long run in building this mule's coping skills and self-regulation, mental re regulation uh, skills at all. Okay, I'm not doing anything good for me there. So by, by taking it in small bites, the mule gets engaged. And you can also make sure you, that you implement lots of soak time. Maybe they finally go over that tarp. Just let them soak right there. Watch the mule come down from it. How do we know they're coming down? Well, we'll see them maybe lower their head. We see them softening the ears. We see them softening the eyes. We see them lick and chew. Uh, that's a great sign. And usually the one that most people can read. They yawn sometimes. They'll cock a leg. They'll go from breathing high uh up in the sternum to that pelvic breathing, you'll see them start breathing out of their gut a little bit more. So you, you watch these things and you let them come down, but you keep engaging them. So what you don't want to do is get flat in your work. You don't want your work to become stagnant. You want it to be engaging. For example, if you're trying to roll the hinds and maybe your mule's really good at rolling the hind quarters, stepping across there, well, turn it up a little bit more, make them do it a little quicker. Okay. The other thing is, is Clay, a, a big piece of this, any mule that bucks, uh, you don't have control of feet yet. Okay, so anything you can do to implement and build your skills to control these feet while doing what I just told you to do with working with that mind is going to be crucial. You know, most mules that buck are heavy on the forehand and sensitive in the hind legs. Uh, what I mean by that is, they have a hard time shifting weight on all four feet. They carry a lot of their weight on that front end. Okay. They don't, they're not loose up there. All right. So we need to be able to get them to shift weight back to the hindquarters and be able to move that front end better. Every bucking horse, you know, when I rodeoed and rode, rode Bronx, every bucking horse I ever got on was heavy on the forehand for sure. So we got to fix that. Okay. Get them light on the forehand. What I mean by sensitive in the hindquarters, every bucking horse is sensitive in the hindquarters, meaning, okay, say if, if, if I was just out in the corral and I come around here and I threw, a, threw my loop around 
the, the hind feet, is that mule going to kick at it and blow up and, and run off? Probably. So they need some, some work on getting familiar with having that back end handled. You know, I like to teach them how to lead by a foot. So teach them to lead by those hind feet if they're wanting a buck. Get to where you can rope those hind feet, pick them up, and they don't care. They're not bothered by it. Get your flag down around those hindquarters. Get your tarp around those hindquarters. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff will help you a bunch. So anyways, Clay, I hope that uh, has given you a few ideas, and I appreciate you giving me a shout-out on your podcast, uh, the Bear Grease Podcast. What a great show. All right, next question comes from Matt Latrell. Hey, Ty, I bought a mule almost a year ago, and she was super great. We could walk up to her in the pasture, and she would stick to our side. We took her on trails and really could do whatever we wanted. As it got colder, her eyes started to drain a lot, and we had to put ointment in them to help. Later this winter, she started to buck and snort at us and wouldn't let us get close to her. She's been hard to catch ever since. Uh, when we have taken her on rides this spring, she isn't easy to mount, bucks and kicks while riding, stops, and is hard to move. She's 100% different now. We have had our vet look at her uh, half a dozen times. Had a trainer come to work with uh, her as well. That trainer recommended that we reach out to, to you to see if you have any ideas on how to help. Jules, the mule, acts like she can't stand to be around us anymore and just wants to be left alone. We have watched some of your videos and are trying to work with her consistently. Thanks for any feedback you can offer us. We appreciate your time. Okay, Matt. Uh, the main thing, man, uh, is get this mule to enjoy being around you. Okay, how do you do that? You know, a lot of the stuff that I just told Clay to do with his mule would apply to you as well. All right, you got to build a relationship. You got to pay attention to this mule. All right, so you need to get out there and and as you're as you're interacting with this mule, notice what the mule has to say. We have a video um, called "Getting Ready to Catch." Okay, getting them ready to catch, and this is crucial here. Um, because your relationship doesn't start when you throw your leg over. It doesn't start when you ride them down the trail. It, it begins when you catch that mule. And even more so than actually catching the mule, how you get them ready to catch, how you approach that mule, how you read them. Um, so getting the mule ready to catch, getting them catching you would be your very first step. So, you know, how, how, how can you become a, a source of, some comfort. That's kind of the main gig here is how can you be a comfort to the mule rather than a hindrance? All right. So, uh, for example, um, I go out to the pan, the mule immediately runs off, doesn't want to be caught. All right. I might just follow that mule. It might sound weird to you, but I might just follow that mule around the pen. Now, obviously you need to put the mule in a pen that you can have some control in, meaning don't try to do this on 20 acres. You need to have a corral that, you know, that you can handle walking around in. Don't try to do this in 20, 30, 40, 50 acres. That ain't, that's not going to work for you. Even one acre is too big here. Uh, you know, get a, get a smaller corral, um, you know, maybe a, you know, a hundred by a hundred corral. That'd be just a great size. And just follow that mule around. Just, just follow it. And, um, don't put pressure on it. Just follow it real quiet like. All right. All right. Maybe the mule finally shows some curiosity to you 
you follow it around for a little while and the mule kind of stops, maybe looks back at you, back off a little bit, right? Then you just take a step back and back off and you'll kind of draw that curiosity. And that might be all you do right now. Then you leave, you come back in an hour, do it again. Leave, come back in another hour, do it again. So on a Saturday, maybe when you don't have work, maybe you get out there and get that meal just to so to show some curiosity to you. Uh, maybe ten or twelve times. You could take a twelve-hour day, especially these long summer days. Uh, get that meal curious about you, and you might do this for uh, you know a couple of days, and and then maybe you you finally get to the point where the meal's curious to you, and um, maybe. Maybe you can get to where you can walk up to the mule and and pet it. You just walk up, rub it on the neck, and then walk away. And you do that uh, every hour. Um, you could do it every half hour. I don't know. Um, this Saturday, you know what I mean? And you, So this is how you get a mule ready to catch. It's going to take you some time, but I'd rather take a little time now, and it'll save me a, a lot of time later. But this is where it begins. Then you do the same thing with, with uh, the halter, okay? The problem here is, you know, this mule has learned every time you catch it, you, 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 you're, you're working a bunch or it's getting doctored. And, you know, you had to do what you had to do, okay? I understand that, but, uh, you know, it, there's consequences to it, all right? So maybe you, you finally get a halter on it and you lead it to the gate and take the halter off. That's one of my favorite things to do with mules that are real bad to catch is, is halter them, take them to the gate and, and let them go. It's awesome. You, you just look at them. They're like, what was that about? Usually you take me out here and we got to do something. So I might do that for a day or two. All right. Um, so, so, so that's some of the stuff I might do. And then as far as, as continuing to build the relationship, as you go through this, you know, the mule loves comfort, but, that doesn't mean it's all treats and hugs and kisses. And that doesn't mean making them, making them comfortable or doing things like that. Sometimes you got to put a little stress in there and then back out of it so that they can draw down. Like I explained to clay with his question, uh, to, to build that comfort, you become a source of, you know, they enjoy being around you because you make them feel better and you make them feel better by, Sometimes putting a little accelerant to it and then backing out of it. You know, it's just like the principle of exercise. You know, I don't, I still haven't personally met anybody that says, I love exercising. I just love the pain. I love how it burns. I love how it hurts when I'm doing a push up or when I'm running hard. Nobody says that. What they say is how good they feel when they've completed the task because it's the same type of thing here. They get a big old dopamine hit, a bunch of endorphins. They feel good. It feels great when you're done exercising. It's miserable when you're in the middle of it, but it feels great when you're done. And, and that's kind of the same thing we, we'll do when we work and, and uh, you know, process these animals through some of our, the program here is, is uh, put a little stress in there, back it out. But you got to start small increments, just like I told Clay, do, do little things get in there and get out of there, um, help them feel good. So, uh, that's my main suggestion to you, Matt, is to get that mule catching with quality. And then I would recommend going through the groundwork and the riding work. First of all, you got issues with just control of the feet. 
um, if you're getting, if you're dealing with this bucking and, and this running and, and all these issues, uh, you know, th- you mentioned one thing that, that really gets me curious. Uh, the mule will just stop and won't want, doesn't want to go. And this, this is common on mules that were never really taught how to have quality forward motion in the first place. Okay. Um, they, they don't move out freely. It, it's, it's so critical that the mule learns how to move out freely. So you can go back to even some of the colt starting stuff and just watch how we teach the mules. Uh, if you watch some of our, some of the segments that we filmed this year at our colt starting clinic about how we taught those mules, how to, how to move out and walk, that'll be a huge benefit to you as well. But I'd go back to that, teach that mule how to move. It, it'll be a big help to you. All right. Next question um, comes from Joyce Stroud. I have a new mule, a new to me mule, eighteen year old Molly. We're doing groundwork. She seems uh, uh, seems to be going backwards in the area of trust. Is that common? Well, Joyce, sometimes I, this is not. I don't have enough information here from you to to give you a, a lot of uh, advice here necessarily to answer your question greatly. But this is something I have seen. Uh, somebody will, will have a mule and everything is good as long as they do what is familiar to the mule. But when they start to implement new things or they start to do, uh, you know, add some maneuvers or they ask the mule new questions, uh, it can stress the mule out and they don't understand. Some mules don't know how to learn. Now, you say this mule is 18 years old. Now, if, if this mule has been used consistently the same way its whole life um, and never engaged and, and asked questions that stimulate the mule, um, they will get stagnant and they forget, so to speak, how to learn. But the good thing is the mule always desires comfort. So whatever you got going in your groundwork, whatever you're doing, just be sure that you are creating a comfortable situation for the mule. That means that you're engaging them, you stress them out a little bit, just a just a perfect little amount of anxiety, a little bit of, of, of curiosity in there, a little caution, uh, and then you back your way out of that and you let them come down from that and self-regulate and you provide that comfort that way, uh, it'll be huge. The, the mule just seeks comfort above all. So um, make sure that you're providing that. Uh, if you're just working, going through the motions and it's just physical, uh, that might not be that helpful to the mule. So make them comfortable. All right. The next question comes from Priscilla Carr. Okay. Good morning, Ty and Sky. I bought a new mule about six months ago. He was a little hard to catch, but by being patient and walking around him and talking to him, I could catch him. This went on for several months. We are now riding him more, being summer, uh, and clipping and bathing, etc. He's getting harder and harder to catch. It's like the more we use him, the more he doesn't want to be messed with or caught. Today, my farrier came, and for the first time ever, my farrier had to reschedule this one mule because neither one of us could catch him. What am I doing wrong? The bad thing is we gave up because my farrier had to leave for his next appointment and scout the mule. Got to go back to his food win for scout i'm so frustrated right now honestly my thought is to just run him all over the small pasture he's in until he gives in but i know that's probably not my best option 
He won't even take treats when I offer them to him just to catch him. Thank you for any help or advice. All right, Priscilla, one thing that I want to tune up right away is the attitude that it was a win for Scout because it wasn't at all. We stressed him, couldn't catch him. We couldn't help him find that comfort. So actually he lost greatly. And so did you, you know, you didn't get to get anything done. And the main thing is, is make sure you don't make it a competition between you and the mule. That's not how we help a mule out at all. Now you've already listened Priscilla to my previous answer, uh, uh about catching and writing and stuff, some of the stuff that Matt wrote in. Uh, so a lot of that will be a big help to you as well. Uh, so I would um, apply everything that I just told Matt to do with his catching issues to, to your mule as well. All right, make it good. Get them ready to be caught. All right. Uh, now, you're, you said you're tempted just to run them around. Well, you, you could apply some pressure and, and, and back off for sure. I mean, we catch a lot of mules that way. Uh, I've done that a lot of times. Make sure the emphasis is not on getting the mule tired, not on just driving the mule, but on bringing the mule to you, kind of getting them hooked on to you. So that would be a, a big piece of this puzzle here. Um, you know, the size of the crowd, like I mentioned to Matt, is a big piece of this deal. So anyways, Priscilla, uh, I wanted to read out your question there and give you a couple of those tips there. But uh, I answered this question from Matt about the catching. So get this meal ready to catch. And also make sure you catch them regularly. Um and and just just catch them and let them go. Today, uh, we caught my whole herd, all my mules. I got thirteen of them out there. We caught all of them, tied them to the trees in their in their corral. There, I got a bunch of junipers in their corral and just tied them to the trees. Did a little work. I I trimmed a couple of mules up. Um, they stood tied for an hour or two, and then we turned them all loose. No big deal. And. Uh, you know, I might go back out here and catch them again and maybe ride one or two of them. But the point is, is a lot of them get caught and just get tied there for a little bit, just a short amount of time and, and turn back out. It's not always a bunch of work. And sometimes I just catch them and just let them go. It's, it's no big deal. All right. Next question comes from Owen Harris. Uh, good afternoon. This is Owen Harris. I attended your clinic in Pennsylvania as a spectator. And I saw part of your clinic at Reese Brothers this spring when I picked up my three-year-old Mule, I'm I'm new to starting a mule, but have done dozens of horse colts. Hope to see you. In, I hope to see you in New York this year. And I am a subscriber to your video library, and listen to your podcast. In the meantime, I have a couple of questions for you. If you could direct me to one of your videos, I feel I have my groundwork fairly solid. I'm kind of a perfectionist, so I always think it could be better. And continue to work at it first, and continue to work at it. First question is getting my mule to woe. She is pretty forward and she operates on a fairly loose rein at a walk and stops well. Um, I lose that at the jog. With that being said, I'm probably just under 20 rides. All right, I'll answer that question first and I'll read the, the other one. Okay, so to build a good stop, uh, Owen, the main thing I would recommend to you is lots of transition work. Uh, you know, one thing I've noticed is every mule that lacks in stops also lacks in transition work. 
So really work on that ability to shift walk, trot, lope, but more importantly, slow, medium, fast walk, slow, medium, fast trot, slow, medium, fast lope. Work at those speeds up and down, up and down, and get that transition sharp. That'll be a huge help to you in the stop. The other thing with the stops, it begins way back in the groundwork. Like for for example, one of our steps in the groundwork is to roll the hinds and just stop. We need to be able to do that. Another part of the groundwork is roll the hinds, roll the front, and stop. We need to be able to do that. How do, People ask, well, how do you get them to stop there? You just quit. You quit asking them to move, and they should stop. That's how you build a good stop. When you quit asking them to go, they should stop. Simple as that. If they don't stop, what do you do? Well, just go again. For example, on the ground, if I'm working on roll the hind, roll the front, and stopping, I'll roll the hind, roll the front, ask them to stop, they ignore it. I immediately roll the hind, roll the front again and ask them to stop again. Again, I ask them to stop by quitting, dropping my lead, no longer driving. I teeter back on my heels, that kind of thing. So I'll do that on the ground. So it your stop really begins way back with your groundwork on. Now, when you get in the saddle, that same move that I just described, roll the hind, roll the front, uh, is another excellent move to get your stop built. So you're in the saddle. You roll the hind quarters, two or three steps, move the front one or two steps. You drop your reins, you quit, you sit down. If they ignore you, if they don't stop, go again. Immediately go again. Roll the hind, roll front again. I will continue doing that until we have some success. Now, if you're asking for videos, there's a video on my video library called Helping Ruby Find a Stop. Look that video up, watch it, and and that that I just described to you, roll hind, roll front, and stopping is on there. A great way to build that. <clears throat> so that's basically, uh, you know, a, a huge, you know, those those components I just mentioned to you uh, will, will do a lot of help for you. Question two, uh, at the trot, she will once in a while look at the outside of a circle and brace her face. I've been searching a video library trying to figure out the best way to address this. Uh, thanks for your time, and let me know if you can point me in a direction. All right, Owen, for your second question there, um, that tipping the nose out uh, when you're trying to circle at the trot, um, serpentines, serpentines, uh, or a snake trail. The, the serpentine is a great exercise. You know, really work on the legs. Your inside leg back should draw the nose. And you, you build that control with that inside leg by going through the four methods. Well, now we got five of them, five methods of moving the hindquarters. That'll be a huge help. You bring the inside leg back, that should draw the nose. So practicing rolling the hindquarters and those five methods of moving the hinds, that's your key to getting that nose tipped in. Do a bunch of it. Um, and make sure. Whenever the mule is shaped up how you want it to, to be shaped up, that life is good for it, that it's comfortable, that, you know, that they find that release that they're searching for. Thanks for the questions, Owen. Next question. Hi, I sure, uh, <clears throat> I'm sure you've answered this question many times before, and I just haven't dug deep enough to find it. I'm starting a young ranch mule, uh, five years old, about 20 rides on cattle. Um, should I just help um, help him 
till he figures it out. Go at his speed um, and pull him through every move. Or can I start asking for a little more life and speed to get around uh, cattle uh, and start expecting more? Um, she kind of goes on to to explain about the dam. Um, this mule was running cows off the feed line as a weanling and can be housed with young stock. Um, excuse me, cannot be housed with young stock because he will run them ragged. So it's in him to be a ranch mule, though I don't expect him to be as snappy as a horse. Um, I'm just not sure. Um, if I should go at his speed when moving cast, I figure it out or basically ask more of him. So that's kind of where she's at. Uh, she says, thanks for your time. And if you have answered this before, let me know where I can find it. Have a wonderful weekend, Heather. Okay, Heather, um, with, with the cows, the key here is getting the mule to, to see what you have in your mind. What what do you want? What is your agenda? What are you looking for? Now, when we're just first trying to get the mule to hook onto a cow, okay, we're not even trying to get him to, to put the cow anywhere or do anything with it. Just try to get him to hook onto it. Make sure that the cow is a source of comfort. This is so key. And, you know, Martin Black taught me this, and it's just stuck with me since. Make sure that that cow is a source of comfort. Okay, I would rather them find comfort at the cow and make like make life more difficult away from the cow than than to try to make them stay at the cow. So don't pull him through the moves. Don't make him stay there. Let him stay there. So so say we're just trying to track a cow um just around the arena, okay? We just want to track it around the arena, just kind of follow it around. Um basically, I'm going to make it real comfortable to be there. Uh, around the cow and I'm going to set up some some imaginary perimeters I'm going to say okay I want you to be you know within five foot of the cow all the time and this is where you kind of need your good old lead steer to help you out or some old cow that is is not going to just run off and, and tear off there and you know whatever um, so once you set up that imaginary perimeter um, you, you get the mule to be there okay um and then you just let it stay there. You put your rein down. You just let it stay there. Don't kick him. Don't pull him. Don't make him stay there. Let him. And when the when the mule leaves that imaginary boundary, then you might go off uh, to the other. You might leave the cow. And you go to the other end of the arena, and you lope some figure eights for a little bit. You lope some circles. You Maybe work on some a side pass, do a bunch of leg yielding. Um, go, just go do something of quality. Okay. Don't just go work the crap out of them or punish them or anything like that, but just, just go do a little bit of, uh, maneuvering and, and then work your way back to the cow. When it gets to the cow, all pressure needs to go off. Just leave them alone completely. Just leave them alone. Okay. Basically we're going to teach the mule that, that the cow, when we get there and we're on the cow, I'm going to leave you alone. Life is going to be really good. It's always easier to be with a cow. All right. Now, when it comes to working on, you know, uh, you know, cutting the cow, stopping the cow, things like that, it's just the same thing. Just work on the positioning. The positioning is the key. So reward the mule for getting in the position, and that will get you so much further than making the mule get into position. 
Okay. It, and it kind of goes back to one of my favorite quotes from Tom Dorrance. You have to treat the mule the way you should treat the horse. Now, a lot of people get away with making the horse. You can kind of intimidate the horse, make them be there, uh, you know, punish them for not being there. And, and set, you know, the, the reality is, is, yeah, they can get it done. Okay. I'm not arguing that. But for, for me, I want my mules to want to be there. And it just doesn't work with the mules to just make them and just pound them into the submission to, to those positions. Get the mule to where they see, hey, when I get to that position, I can, man, life is good. Now, you kind of mentioned in your email that mule seems a little bit lazy. Hey, use that to your advantage. Absolutely. Lazy mules are easy to teach because they like to be left alone. So whenever that mule's in position that you want them to be in, leave them alone and don't make them, don't make them be in that position. If you're going to make them do anything, make him get out of position and go work them a little bit, bring them back to position, leave them alone. So that's kind of how I'd, I'd work through that. And, uh, yeah, to answer your question, uh, for sure, you're going to go at the mule's pace until it kind of works out. But this is a way that you can make sure that the mule's pace fits uh, what you need to get done and will help you in your training endeavors for sure. So that's a great question, Heather. A lot of great questions today on this episode. I appreciate you guys uh, sending them in. Um, I, I really do. And if you guys have questions, be sure to send them to ty at tsmules.com. I'm happy to answer those questions for you. We'll get them on the show. Um, and uh, anyways, hey, uh, I mentioned all the clinics we've got coming up this fall. I'd love to see you there. Um, if you uh, would like us to come to your area next year, we're booking our 2023 clinics. Like I mentioned earlier, we've got a lot of great ones already in the books, and we're looking forward to getting more on there. So if you want to, if you are interested in, in having us come to your area, let us know. You can send me an email to tieattsmeals.com. And uh, to see where we're headed the rest of this year, you can always go to our website, tsmules.com. And, and uh, as always, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for listening. God bless you, and we will see you down the road. Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules & More magazine. Mules & More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine, and uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little, and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years, and she has done an amazing job. Um, also, did you know that Meals More comes in a digital format? You can download it on your phone, read it wherever you're at. So... Hey, be sure to check them out, mulesmore.com. And, uh, you know, hey, tell them Ty sent you. I'd be very grateful. Mulesmore.com. 